Well, hello, everybody, and welcome. You are watching and listening to The Spiritual Exercises. I'm Rachel Amaday. I am so excited to bring you guys a really special guest today and someone who I've known since we were like little, little children. <laughs> we played together. <laughs> um, our, our moms were best friends, and it just so happens that she has um, just kind of an incredible resume of research and education in the areas of health and wellness that I've been trying to discuss with y'all now for a little while. Her name is Ashley Elizabeth, and she has a master's in counseling. She also is going to be starting a ministry called Exalt Family Ministries. Um, she's working on setting this up. This is going to be resources and advocacy uh, in the health realm, which I think we really need. We really need more options. We really need more wisdom in that and um, more people speaking into that for us. So I'm excited. Thank you, Ashley, for being here. Of course. Thank you it's for having me. So fun. I don't get to catch up with you very often. Um, but seriously, like, I feel like I've just, I've known your face and you look the same as you did <laughs> when you were young, oh, okay. <laughs> I've known your face for so long, um, and your family and you have such an incredible family, such an incredible testimony, um, so many godly people in your family. And so I think it's not at all surprising that God puts you into the health realm in one way, shape or form given the times that we're in. And mm -hmm. I think God is calling more and more people to discuss this because we have been learning so much about what's happened to our medical establishment in the last few years. And people seem to be kind of off. They don't seem to be healthy mentally, psychologically, spiritually, physically, just not healthy. So mm -hmm. we're going to have a good discussion today, but I want to start with um, the viewers and listeners. I think they'd really just like to know more about who you are the ministry you're working on and your story. How did you get to this place? What, what brought you here? Oh, well, it's a long story, but I'll try to make it quick. Um, so I, I'm a Colorado native and um, we, I, I'm the oldest of four um, in my family. So I'm a bit of a type A personality, like take charge. Um, yeah, right. That's why we, that's why we get along. <laughs> only only firstborns understand first. That's right. We understand each uh, other. <laughs> but I, um, so I went to school at CU. I played soccer, um, and it was really interesting. I was thinking about this, like, wow, I soccer was like growing up, like my identity. And when I was done with my undergrad and soccer was over, I was like, what am I supposed to do with myself? Mm -hmm. um, my parents would joke that I had like a, a year or so of like just finding myself. And yeah. I worked at Bubba Gump Shrimp Company with a oh, friend. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that place. It, oh, yeah. Downtown Denver. It was not my finest moment because I, I wasn't even a waitress. I was a hostess because I had never worked in the restaurant business. So I had no idea what I was doing. Um, but within like that year or so of just like figured out like, what is my life going to look like in my future? And um, I decided to go back to school. I went to CU Denver um, and got a master's in counseling because I just have, I've always had a heart for helping others. Mm. Um, and I really wanted to work with kids. Uh, my undergrad was in speech pathology. Mm. Um, but I, that just wasn't 
quite fitting where I wanted to go. So um, I did my master's in counseling. I absolutely loved it. It was um, their program there is amazing. It's like took me about two and a half, three years because um, it's a it's a pretty intense program. Mm-hmm. I got to do a practicum in a um, elementary school in Thornton, which was so oh my gosh, so eye opening and just yeah. like how different worlds are just in within our state and like the things that these young kids were going through, like sixth graders, yeah. um, was just, it was crazy. And I, I did um, some work in a high school as well. And then just really realized like, wow, if I work in a school, I don't really get the chance to work with kids and like on mental health. It was more counselors these days in schools are more geared towards like scheduling and let's see what you want to do with college. Like there's a little bit of um, mental health talk. You know, we talked about like bullying and things like that, but it wasn't like getting into the weeds and really being an advocate for kids. And that's kind of where my heart was. And um, so I didn't actually, I didn't actually like go into it as a career. Um, Even though I have my master's in that, I ended up working totally separate in oil and gas because I had just like had a friend that got me into it while I was doing school and it worked. And, right. um, so I, I did that for about 10 years and then, had, you know, got married. I now have four kids, um, that are seven, five, three, and one, mm. I have three boys. And then our little last one was a girl and she's just been so fun this last oh, year. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I think becoming a mother also has really like, it jump starts you into like, oh my goodness, who's in charge of our family and their mm-hmm. health. And it, you know, I felt personally like it weighed on me and mm-hmm. um, as their parent and their mother. And it was really important to me to just um, be able to not only for myself to know, but for them to be able to teach them um, the importance of taking care of yourself and that our body is the temple of the Holy spirit and what are yeah. called to, you know, treat it like a temple. Um, and I think in America, at least we, we don't really look at it that way. We're kind of think we're invincible. Like we have everything, everything's fine here. It's safe. You know, we kind of outsource our health to others um, mm-hmm. and we don't take responsibility for it. And um, so, yeah, I, I think too, um, a bigger part of my story that really um, has shaped me into like becoming more of a researcher is about my gosh, now is it four years. I, I don't like yeah. counting these years because um, my dad, so five years ago on father's day weekend um, drove himself to the hospital. Didn't tell any of us. He had been having some weird symptoms and, we came to find out he drove himself to a high hospital, um, St. Joe's downtown. And cause he thought he was having a stroke. Mm. <laughs> Not ideal if you're having a stroke to be driving yourself, no. but, um, he went in, they didn't think he did, but he, my grandma, his mother had had several strokes and died from a stroke slash heart attack. And so I think that was just always in the back of his head. Like I have family history of this. So they kind of appeased him. We're like, well, you're not showing signs of a stroke, but like, we'll do a CT just to double check. And the call that we all got, my mom, my sister, my brother and I, uh, brothers and I, um, the next call was that he, they found a a mass in his brain Hmm. um, and we needed to immediately go to the hospital. So 
the whirlwind of that was he ended up being diagnosed with a glioblastoma, which is a very um, stage four, immediate um, grade four, very aggressive cancer in his brain. Um, he was only 56 when he was diagnosed, so very, very young. And not a lot of symptoms or signs that like would have said, oh, I think you have a brain tumor. Like it was very subtle that really only he noticed, but thank God he went and got checked. Right. But none of us knew, like we never, we didn't know he was having like symptoms of something. And so it was a, sh- a complete shock. Shocking. Oh, it's complete shock. Like, you know, yeah. your dad, we're really all, our family's really close. And um, my dad is like my he was our rock. Like we, we yeah. used to joke, he was the godfather of the family. Like what he said, what, like you didn't cross dad. Um, but in the most loving way, like he just like, took Oh, care he of was, us all. Yeah, oh, yeah, he was awesome. I remember yeah. him very well. It's a great man. Yeah. yeah. So he, you know, throughout that, his diagnosis, um, he went through chemo and radiation. Um, but I was kind of the, me and my sister, Brittany, we were, we ended up just like diving into research and we were like, we're going to figure this out. And we want to like help him as much as possible, because I think that was just our heart. Like our dad did everything for us. And so this was like the smallest thing we could do was to be there and help him and just like walk alongside him in this. And my mom, um, long story short, he only made it about 13 months before he passed away. Um, which is, I mean, they give you 12 to 18, so 13 was just right in there. And we were really praying and um, believing in God for a miracle. But we also knew like it's God's will. And um, we were really trying to align with that. But in a sense, same sense of like, we don't believe we're just going to sit back and wait. Like God gave us brains. He gave us resources. Yeah. He gave us, you know, um, so much that we need to, we felt, we personally felt we needed to be active participants in his health and treatment plan, um, as well as like our family as a whole. So, Mm. um, and I think one of the, as I'm talking about this, I'm thinking, you know, one of the things that really, I think spurred us on all of us, um, my brothers included was my dad's first meeting with his oncologist, um, was literally two days after he had brain surgery. So he got diagnosed the Friday of father's day weekend, had brain surgery that Monday, Um, and then two days later he was out of ICU, um, with a huge cut in his head, uh, and just kind of processing at that point, we hadn't really, well, we knew the diagnosis, but he didn't. So they had told us the diagnosis. Um, but we were meeting with his oncologist for the very first time. He's like on steroids, um, just got got out of ICU and the oncologist walks in and tells us what the diagnosis is or tells him mostly. And we're all in there with him. And then she hands him a piece of paper that is a Google printout of what a glioblastoma is. And I'm kind of like, Oh, Google, we're Googling. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You're an oncologist. This should be way more official than this. I thought we did a Google thing. But sorry, my voice is, I'm just coming off of like a laryngitis week. So if I squeak, okay. I apologize. Um, <laughs> but, you know, and in the, in the midst of her talking and explaining to him, and he's just shocked, you know, obviously, right. um, he's trying to process, but he just had brain surgery. 
So he's a little slow to like figure this all out. And she looks at him and, she, and I'm asking questions. We're kind of all asking about like, what's the pre treatment plan? And, and so wait, so I, I want to get the timeline straight. So he goes in and they just admitted him to the hospital. Then? Oh yeah. Is that what happened? Oh, and yeah. then they, they operated on the cancer within a few days Yes, and he still didn't know at that well, point no so they knew he had a mass but they didn't know if it was cancer um it could have been benign they okay just, so until they go in and, and the reason they would have done it sooner because it was such a large mass um but it was the weekend and so to get a surgery team together like a brain surgery team right pretty intense well that seems to, pretty quick actually oh yeah it's so, well it like if he had gone in on a wednesday or something they probably would have done surgery the next day really um yeah but okay. because he had gone in on a friday afternoon you know they had saturday sunday which actually you know i'm grateful for because we got to spend that those two days with him um mm -hmm. it was hard really hard but we got to be with him and um you know, I'll, I'll go back to this, but we, we talk about my family that we lost my dad twice. One mm. was his diagnosis. And after his brain surgery, he was not the same person. I'm sure. Again. And yeah. then we lost him like when he passed away. So, um, we at least got those two days before to just kind of spend time together, pray, be together as a family. Um, now what happened surgery. to him after the brain surgery? So he, um, they, ended up doing radiation for okay. I think six weeks on his brain, which is not easy oh, to wow. do. No. And then he did chemo for about, gosh, I don't even know how many months it was, a, you know, several rounds of chemo, um, that made him very ill. And it was kind of just their standard of care. They didn't really have any, much to offer. Um, so I have to say, we ended up not using the oncologist we met in the hospital. We transferred to a different oncologist because we just were not impressed with her. The first thing she said was, do you need an antidepressant? Do you want me to give you an antidepressant? <laughs> and I'm sitting in the room. I'm like, he just had brain surgery. And she's like, you seem depressed. And I'm like, you just told him he has a like terminal brain cancer. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah I mean, there was just a lot of things we were like, what? I would have right been now? infuriated. I would have been like, if he's not depressed, something's wrong with his brain. Right. Like, what are you talking right. about? Like that seems to be like That's... a normal response of like hearing news. Um, like that. Oh my goodness. And she just was kind of like, like, do you, do you just want me to give you a pill for it? You know, like, um, and I had asked Ugh. her just before that, like, could he take a probiotic? Um, cause we were kind of like, what can he take while he's doing radiation and chemo yeah. and all these things? She's like, oh no, no probiotics that cannot mix with the steroids. And then in the <laughs> next breath, she's recommending an antidepressant. And I'm sitting here like, but you can mix an antidepressant with steroids. Like, can he? Happening? Could he eat yogurt? <laughs> According to her, apparently not. Okay. Um, <laughs> so we did not move forward with her. So that would be, you know, that was one of my. Oh my gosh. That was like a light bulb moment for me because, yeah. um, yeah. I mean, I think a lot of us, and I'm, I don't, I don't fault anybody because I was there too. Is we just trust. We trust the experts. We trust, you know, like that they know better and um, we're not allowed to question uh, because we didn't go to school, you know, so we don't know. Um, and that was kind of a light bulb moment for me because I, I had done it in the past. I have had my own personal health issues um, and 
that just, that moment for me was very pivotal. I think that mm. like spurred in me a little bit of a fire is like, okay, like I don't necessarily, I'm not seeing like this expert thing that they all say we're supposed to trust because like what's coming out right now is not making sense. Like it's just the like critical thinking in me, like simply just was like, this just isn't like all adding up. And so I'm not, I'm not necessarily, I don't, it's not that I didn't trust anybody to help my dad. Like he ended up getting a great oncologist um, and radiologist. His radiologist was amazing and so kind and um, but understanding. Do you, feel, but do you feel like, cause you're, you're in one of those situations and we know a lot of people who've been in these situations in the last few years, you know, people that are facing cancer, especially the cancer treatment protocol, right? Where it's like, and I think this is maybe a hard question. You don't have to answer it if you don't want to. But when you watch people go to the oncologist, to the doctor, and they're like, well, you probably only have whatever, eight months to a year or whatever to live. And then we're going to torture you for that time period uh, to see if we can squeak out an extra month or two. Right. And um, I mean... I don't know what to think about that process. I, I think people, people sometimes are saved. Right. Um, and so I think that's why they do it. But the number of people I've seen just be tortured for a year and then die. Right. Mm -hmm. It's kind of, it's hard and oh. it makes you wonder like, how have we not come up with something better? We have all of these other scientific advancements and developments. What are, what are we missing? You know, mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, is that it was I, that's what I've observed in people's lives. We actually had just had a dear friend, an incredible man, pass away. Same process, same thing. Mm -hmm. Cancer, he had had cancer, it was in remission for a very long time. In the last few years, cancer came back, it was very aggressive. And then all the chemo, all the radiation, and he was nothing like he was a, a frail, tiny person by mm -hmm. the time he passed away. Yeah. 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 And I, it's like, I, I hate this actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, it, yeah. it's miserable. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's really hard to process because you're thinking like, this is what they're telling me could help me or my family member. So you don't want to. You, it's worth, you're like, it's worth a try. Right. 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 It's worth like, a shot. Yeah. Yeah. But, but then on the other hand, it's like, there's no quality of life in that process. Yeah. Yeah. And we've talked a lot about this as a family. Um, just that we, you know, God has numbered our days and mm -hmm. there's nothing any of us can do to change that number. Like mm -hmm. that we're in line, you know, on our way to heaven um, as believers. And we're, no matter how much research I did or how much, you know, natural or other alternative treatments my dad added in to the chemo and radiation um, that other people maybe had had success success with um it didn't it wasn't going to change his it his didn't touch it right? right yeah yeah um, but i do believe we have the ability to impact the quality of those days right mm -hmm. and um one way or the other we can make those quality that quality really bad or we can try to you know it can be good um, or a combination of both but I think the hardest part that even for my dad was that he felt he, and he took the doctor's 
um, diagnosis and their assessment of his timeline, almost like they were God. I mean, mm. and they pretty much the way they presented it to us and to him was there, you have 12 to 18 months. Like there's no chance after that. Like what, and what we give you that isn't going to extend past that 12 to 18 months. Like you'll be. Oh, so oh, yeah. uh, with you, with you, with your master's in counseling, what do you think of the psychology of that practice? Oh, it's heartbreaking because it just, and for me to know it's, and it's, I can get a bit, bit fiery about this, but I just, I, I struggle with this idea that people can give other people um, a timeline or a deadline and say like, well, because I know more because I went to school or, or um, I've, I've seen more, I've seen this happen. You haven't walked this road. I've, I've had other patients, you know, and this is, they're giving the average and they're giving like, well, this is what I've experienced. And they're pretty cold about it. Probably I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. It's probably because they've seen death a lot maybe. Um, and so they're not going to sugarcoat things. So I can, see, there's a fine balance. Um, I'm wondering though, so um, psychologically, things can become self-fulfilling prophecies yeah. with people, what you believe about yourself, you become. Yeah. And so I think that's why God doesn't like the practice of divination and future telling in some ways, because you put that out there and then people start to believe it and then it becomes its own energy. Yeah. And so I've always been curious about that. Whenever doctors do that, I'm like, isn't there another way you can break these really bad pieces of bad news, yeah. right? Yeah. Isn't there another way we can approach this where it's like, I have no idea how many days you have, right? But you should live all of them to the fullest. I mean, isn't there a way to just reframe this and not give them this ultimatum of like, well, I hit the 12 months, you know? You know, I think as a believer, it's easy to say that because we have a hope, right? In the end, um, we know where where, where we're going to end up. And so we can like, I think process like, Oh yeah, let's make the best of the time we have. But uh, you know, when we talk about the world and people who aren't believers and don't have that hope, um, I don't know if, I don't know. I don't know if they have the, the ability, maybe they do, but like, they're just not processing life in the same way that we do life. They're not, but it's interesting. The Bible is so psychologically sound, right? And Mm -hmm. hope is everything. I mean, there's been whole books written about who made it through, you know, the Nazi camps and the one thread that was with all the people that made it through the death camps tended to be that they had hope, Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. and oh, it's psychologically sound. Like when you do that, you give people an extra bit of strength that they may not have had otherwise to lose hope. You really, if you lose hope, you lose your life anyways, right? You know, you're not living. Mm -hmm. And so it is kind of a strange, I've always thought this. So I'm all about, we're kind of, um, I'm not an expert in in any of this, but as like an average person who's had people pass away from cancer in her life, um, or pass away from really difficult situations, 
I think it's okay to kind of say the things that people are thinking out loud. Just like people think this stuff. They go go through these processes and they're like, did you have to say that like that? Did you have to give him a timeline? Do we have to do this this way? Is this the only, right? Like people are asking these questions. Finally, I felt like, um, you know, because for a lot of my growing up, I don't think people asked a lot of questions either. But I think now people are really going, wait a second, this, you know, Maybe I want quality of life more than I Mm. want quantity of life, or maybe I want, you know, something different. Um, And I think your story really resonates for a lot of people because a lot of people have been in your shoes. And um, yeah, sadly, too many. So many people have been there. I mean, talk about an epidemic. Yeah. (laughs) Cancer is just ravaging. And it's it's up 11.3% apparently Mm. uh, year over year. Uh, since 2022, even since they were looking, I just saw, uh, I have to get the exact numbers, but just saw someone who's putting together some incredible statistics and numbers and it's just skyrocketing, especially certain types of cancers right now. And so I think it's really important that we talk about, um, you know, we might not have the cure to cancer. I wish we did, (laughs) but (laughs) we might have some awesome ways to prevent it and to keep that hope and to put our trust in the right place. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to talk to you about this actually. So I'm going to, I sent you some questions. I'm going to skip down a little bit. We'll jump around here. Um, So we're just kind of touching on this. What do you think the state of health in America is like right now? And with all your research that you've done in the last few years, where do you think we are? Well, we're the most chronically sick um, nation um, than we've ever had. And our kids especially are like severely chronically ill with autoimmune or, um, Cancer. I mean, you, you mean diabetes, diabetes, right. I mean, it is just the amount of kids that I see with allergies. Um, yeah. I mean, wearing a diabetes patch. Oh, it's just, it's crazy to me. Cause I remember growing up as a child and I'm like autism, um, ADHD, like just, there's just, you know, there's so much, um, that it's unfortunate because we have so many resources here, yet we're still so ill and, and unhealthy. Um, I think people are starting to, you know, the state of public health, just even in the last few years has just, it's been eye opening for a lot of people, I think, Um, whether it's seeing how unhealthy we are. And, and, you know, I think I was, I was reading something as well that the U S had more deaths per capita. I could be totally saying this wrong, but then um, a lot of underdeveloped nations where they typically, you would think they'd be more ill. They didn't have as many resources, but we had way more deaths. Um, And why is that? Why, why are we not asking that question? Um, We kind of just accepted it. Um, Like, Oh, we didn't stay inside long enough or, you know, like, giving these reasons that aren't really adding up when you just sit back and like actually critically think about like, why are we so um, unhealthy here? And it's, um, it's really unfortunate, but it's where like, I see, I think going back to, I think the idea is like, we've for so long outsourced our health to others. Um, I mean, I see it in my grandparents um, age, like 
they are very, it's so different how they view doctors and their health. Like the, the smallest thing happens and they're calling their doctor and like whatever their doctor says, yeah. I'm doing it to a T. <laughs> and they I'm never not, ask yeah, any no, questions. No questions. <laughs> and it's like, it's, oh. It's weird. Yeah. It's weird. Because my, my grandma's the one that taught me to like question things. Uh, and then it's like that whole concept skipped a generation or something. Because like, yeah, I mean, my parents now question more. But they growing up, it was like, oh, you have a sniffle. We better call the doctor. Yes. You know? And whatever yes. they say is the yes. accurate, you know, it's conclusion. Very, it's yeah. very interesting. Yeah, to watch. I mean, I... I my grandparents are well my dad's parents have passed away um but my mom's parents are you know 87 88 and they are I mean they have some health definitely have had some health issues but for being their age they are pretty like they get around That's we awesome. just spent the, uh, the weekend up with them in the mountains but I also watch them when something happens the first person they call is their doctor. And it's like the doctor's word is gold. Yeah. Like if I, you know, if anyone has anything else to say outside of it, um, it's like, well, I need to check with my doctor. Um, <laughs> and so yeah, yeah. And I, I kind of watched that with my parents when they were going through this. I think they question a little bit more because they had us kids kind of like pushing and saying like, wait a second what do we, what do you mean by that? And, oh, are you sure that's the only way? Or what about doing something different? Like, can we add this treatment in with what he's doing? And so I think they started like being a little bit more open to it, but I think if they didn't have us kids around, it was just my mom and dad walking this journey. They would have just taken the doctor's word and done mm -hmm. everything the doctor told them, um, whether they knew, you know, even if it wasn't helping, they would have been like, well, that's what the doctor told us to do. Like, yes it's going to help because that's what the doctor said. And I, I think it's a tough time for those folks because so many, um, there've been so many stories now that have come, come out about treatments, drugs, whatever, that were highly recommended or highly used or highly, um, you know, prescribed that have ended up being disasters. I think mm -hmm. about like Oxycontin being one of yep. them. Um, you think about what they've discovered now with depression and, oh, um, yeah the SSRI drugs. Mm -hmm. um, and if y'all aren't aware, what they basically discovered is the original mechanism by which they thought depression was happening, right? Right. Uh, the, the whole foundation for the SSRI drugs, they found out was faulty. The studies yeah. were faulty. They were wrong. Um, they didn't, <laughs> what they thought they had concluded wasn't actually the con conclusion they should have come to. And so the entire foundation for antidepressant, a lot of the antidepressant drugs is now gone. Right. And they don't even know if or why antidepressant drugs work. They, they're, I mean, there are theories out there, right? Is this a placebo effect? Are they, maybe they don't work at all and we haven't studied them well enough. And, right. you know, so all these things are coming out because they eventually do, right? Like you can only lie for so long and the truth always comes out. So even if it's a generation later, it'll come out. So all these things are coming out about these medications. Specifically, we've experienced in the last three years with the um, very, very poor product that COVID-19 vaccines were, that they didn't work. They didn't do anything we were, we were told that they did, and they possibly have done damage. I think a lot of people like are starting to think, now what? You know, mm -hmm. now what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to be healthy? 
how, how do I even research? And there's a whole group, and I, I, I didn't ask you this. I didn't prep you for this question, but maybe you can speak to this. There's a lot of people out there who say that you have to be uh, a doctor in the, you know, or an expert in the field in order to understand the information that's coming out. <laughs> and I, I find this really interesting because it was all the doctors and experts that were telling us the wrong thing. Right. So I don't know, but I, I don't know what that means. But I, I want to speak to that a little bit because I think people think I'm not smart enough to understand what this stuff is. And for, for you, actually, there are some great books and stuff you can read, like how to read statistics. Mm -hmm. You can learn how to read, you know, medical studies. You can learn how to understand this data. You do have a brain. God gave it to you for a reason. You should use it. But can you speak to that little accusation? It's a logical fallacy. It um, is. But it comes I mean, it's up all the time. Yeah, yeah, it's a way to, you know, make you not question or not speak up or not, you know, say, hmm, this is maybe. You're not well. smart enough to question yeah, you this, don't know, right? You're not an expert. So don't, you know, don't broach this yes. subject because um, if you do, you, you're probably going to get it wrong. And that, you know, I think that's why we are in the place we're at is because, and I, I have been there. So I remember before my daddy got diagnosed the year, it was January, we were at church and they had said, they had asked everyone to write down one of your biggest fears. And the whole goal was like, we're going to really, you know, pray and ask God to um, work on this fear because, you know, God says over and over, do not fear right, right. in the Bible. And I remember one of my biggest fears and my family and my friends can attest to this. I was scared of health issues, terrified. Mm -hmm. I was a hypochondriac um, growing up. Like I, I had a lot of things that I was worried, one about myself getting ill or sick or something happening to my family. Mm -hmm. And lo and behold, <laughs> that year, my dad got a brain tumor. Oh, wow. Um, I look back now and I, where I'm at now with the, my view of health, is so much different. And I don't, I wouldn't say I have the fear that I did when, you know, five years ago, mm. um, my, my mindset has changed. Um, but I think fear plays a big part in this fear of, you know, I'm going to get it wrong fear of, I won't know what they're talking about, or I don't understand. So I'm just going to mm. trust someone else. And that outsourcing our health to someone else, um, whether it's the TV telling you, oh, you need this prescription pill because you have these you know, symptoms, go tell your doctor and ask about this pill. Um, so I'm going to trust the TV over my own God-given innate um, instincts and ability to, you know, just look into things for myself yeah. and my family. And I think that you know, it's a way I think when they say like, oh, yeah, trust experts, but not, you know, they say that, but then some experts speak out and it's different. And they're like, but not trust experts. our experts. Yes, not those yes. experts. <laughs> so governments have been doing this for a long time and, yeah. and corporations have been doing this for a long time. But I want to bring this back in, into kind of a spiritual context because, um, you know, I think about 
the, the it, two two aspects of this. One, this whole message of you're not smart enough to understand the message. People need to realize this is what the Catholic Church was doing to people before mm-hmm. the Reformation. Mm-hmm. They were telling people they were too stupid to read their own Bibles and not to go take a look at it, that right. they controlled the information and that you had to get your information from them. And really, anybody that starts to tell you that, that you're too dumb to understand and you shouldn't do your own research, <laughs> boy, I would never trust one thing they're saying because they're probably trying to sell you something. I mean, yeah. honestly, there's no other reason to do that. You should allow your truth to stand the test of scrutiny because mm-hmm. <laughs> if it can't, then it's not the truth. Um, but I also think about, especially with medications and medicines and, and our food, food products and all of oh, that yeah. thing, the Bible does talk to what we put in our bodies that, you know, and Christians don't often understand this, but there are laws about how we treat seeds, what we do to plants, what we do to animals. God hates animal cruelty. He absolutely despises certain things going into human beings' bodies. And he says, these things can defile you. They can harm you. They can cause you to not be spiritually aware. I mean, there's all sorts of things the rabbis believed about that stuff. There's a spiritual principle to paying attention to what you're doing with your body because your body does affect your mind and your soul. Mm-hmm. And I wonder kind of where do you land on that? What do you think some of the spiritual or biblical principles around that might look like? Yeah, I mean, I was thinking about this. Um, I think, I mean, we have the Bible for, you know, a reason. It's yeah. our foundation and it's, I think it's so key to our physical and mental and spiritual health. I mean, yeah, I think like you've said earlier, um, we sometimes think like, oh, spiritual is different than my physical or mental. And it's all like boxed up. Like I keep this file over here and, you know, but they are so intertwined and the Bible gives us this guideline for how to, you know, take care of all of them, like as a whole. Um, And God is, you know, he created all of us physically, spiritually, mentally. And so, um, I think, you know, I just think about, I was just pulling sorry, I'm looking down to pull up my, the verse that yeah. I was thinking about. Um, but just in Proverbs three, how it talks about, uh, my son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart for they will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. And then it goes on to say, this will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Mm. Um, And just how important it is that we, you know, we know what God says and we walk alongside that. Um, And going back to that, our body is a temple. I mean, he says this and we should treat it as a temple. And we've lost, I think that um, we don't talk about that. You know, they don't talk about it at church. You don't, you don't like, it's not like a typical Bible study you're going to go do and be like, oh, what does it mean to treat my body as a temple? Um, And so we don't, we don't think about that in just our everyday. But Janippi, so I've started to think about this. If my first question is, how is this going to affect my ability to carry out my ministry? Mm -hmm. And when you start to look into certain things and what it can do to your mind, what it can do to your, your emotions, what it can do to your body, you're going to find a lot of this stuff has a very, could have a very negative impact on your ministry. Like the work that God needs you to have the empathy and the presence and the mental stability and the physical wellness to do. 
And so when we treat our bodies like garbage, it's kind of that first checkpoint, that first check of like, do I care about what God made me to do? Right. You know, right. do I care about this? Or do because, I care about yeah. what he gave me? What he oh, yeah, blessed this, me with? This, I mean, this body and this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're not going to, you know, and um, there's a lot of confusion around verses like um, that talk about food, you know, what goes into your mouth doesn't defile you and all, all of this stuff. We know just, I'll just give a great example. I give this in my book. If you drink bleach, you're going to die. So he wasn't talking about just anything. You can't just put anything (laughs) in your mouth. He's talking about the biblical definition of food, which you find in Leviticus. These things are food. These things are not food. There are certain things that are classified as not food. Do you know, you probably do know this, when you look up the ingredients of a lot of these medications and how they were developed, you are going to find things in there that are very much, I would would just say they're not kosher. Um, They are very disturbing Mm -hmm. ingredients from from animals and other things that you would go, I would never put that in my body if I knew that was an ingredient. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you've come up, like, have you come across any egregious examples? Because I've come across a lot. (laughs) Am I allowed to say it? No. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, you just, yes, you, you, just are. Go, you can go up. I mean, there are aborted fetal cells in yeah. some medications. Yep. I, I And people want to say like, oh, they want to, you know, dissect it and say, well, it's not really. Um, but, it's but it is. It, it is. That's what it the, came from. It's, yeah. show, it's in the ingredient list. Like they, they're not hiding it. Right. You just have to look. Um, but I think... <laughs> I think what I found when I talked to people about these things, um, one, one, they just simply don't know. Yeah. And, um, two, I think part of it is like, they don't want to know, um, because then if they do know, then they have to like, they have to kind of have a tug and pull about like, (laughs) is is this okay? Like, um, and it makes life a little more challenging. It makes it challenging. And, and when we go back to, you know, the biggest, um, obstacle as a human is our selfishness yeah. and our um, wanting things to be easy or for me, or um, I want to fulfill myself. So, you know, a lot of times we're not asking that question that you said, like, how does this affect my, or how is this going to impact my ministry? We're asking, how does this affect me? Yeah. You know, I really want that, you know, diet Coke and it yeah. makes me feel good in the moment. I'm not going to think about that. There are like legit articles, scientific articles that say they've linked aspartame to brain cancer. Right. But I'm still going to go drink that diet Coke because it makes me feel good and I need it. I deserve it. I had a rough week <laughs> right. and that diet Coke just really tastes good. Um, diet Coke you know, is like the, the, maybe even like, that's like low level. <laughs> it is low level, but you know, that's you low can, level. Take, you can yeah. take it to, you know, all, But you, but you go all the way up the ladder. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, people do all sorts of drugs for the same reasons and you, you're right. You can't take that approach. That can't be your reason at all times for the choices you're making about your, your health. It cannot be, well, I need it right now. It feels good. That's always going to go poorly, right? Or, yeah, and I think the other thing that we find is it's easy. You know, yeah. taking a pill 
that my doctor gave me because I'm not sleeping good is the easy thing to do. And it may help short term. It may help long term or it may help a little bit or a lot. It's all, it's different for every person. Um, but it's the easy thing to do. It's harder yeah. to say what's, what's the root cause of why I'm not sleeping. Yeah. And is there, you know, can I look at my, my eating habits or my, my mental health or, um, you know, any other thing that may be going on and address that, but it might take longer. It may not fix it tonight yeah. when I'm going to bed. Um, or it might be that that's the only time of day God can get a hold of you and you need to get up and pray. True. <laughs> that's true. happened to me. <laughs> I I before, I'm like, I why can't I sleep? I need my yeah. sleep. And then finally I was like, you know, oh, I haven't really been spending a lot of time with the Lord yeah. lately. Maybe he's trying to get a hold of me. Maybe yeah. I need to go pray for some people that he's been putting on my heart that I haven't spent the time, you know, to pray for. Mm -hmm. I mean, you don't know why, but if you, like you said, if you just pop a pill, if you think that that is the ultimate way to fix your emotional and physical problems, I think you're going to discover what, you know, we've discovered, which is that it doesn't fix them long-term and you still have to deal I think the depression issue is a great one. There are good reasons to feel depressed for oh, an amount absolutely. of time. Mm -hmm. It's okay. It's okay. If you, if you are feeling really down, it might be that there's something you've got to work through. You mm -hmm. have to work through it. You are being forced to face it. And we've got to, as a society, be okay with that. Like, right. You, you don't just pop a pill and fix depression. That's not how no. that works. Now, some people, yeah, I get it. They, they need some sort of extra help to feel normal. I completely understand why some people do it. But for the vast majority of, I mean, how many people did we figure out with this SRSRI thing? How many people are on antidepressants? It's like an, it, it's some extraordinary amount. It's like, oh, well, and kids. Right. And kids. kids. On it. Yeah. I mean, little yeah. children that. You know, yeah, this whole idea that your brain just isn't producing the right amount of serotonin and we can fix this chemistry, yeah, that they're now finding was not true. Not correct. It's false. And, it's and it has chemistry. nothing to do with serotonin levels. Yeah. Yep. I mean, it's scary, isn't it? And how many mm -hmm. people have become addicted to that, those things and now their brains don't produce the right amount of right. whatever because they became dependent on the drug to do it for them. And right. now it's going to be that much harder to backtrack and work. Anyways, we could go mm -hmm. off like this forever. I do want to keep talking about a couple things here. Okay. So um, let's move on to, and I, I wish we had more time for this question, but um, I, I want to talk about this because this is a part of my series that I'm doing. Let's talk about the lockdowns and mandates, what you chose, why you chose, chose what you chose, because you chose a very specific direction. You were very outspoken and very brave in that time period, I thought. And I'm sure you got censored a lot. Um, so maybe describe your experience. Am. I'm still censored. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're on the list. You're you're on lists all over the place. I probably. am. I'm on I'm on a bunch of government lists. I'm yeah, sure. You're on the um, list. They're always listening to me. No. Um <laughs> I, you know, this is so interesting because I, I, for some reason, and I, I can only explain that I think it was God, um, just for some reason in my spirit from the very beginning, I just, I had this, um, instinct that what they were telling us wasn't the whole truth. Mm. And um, I was watching, I remember sitting on my couch one day watching, 
the president, President Trump, talking about this whole idea that they were presenting of two weeks to slow the spread. And I remember looking at my husband being like, they cannot do that. It will never end. It will not just be two weeks. And and I actually even called our county commissioner at the time and Jeff Coe that I knew uh, was someone I knew. And I called her and I said, you cannot do this. Like this, this will not, this will put us on a very bad path. Um, we, it will turn into a month and then it'll turn into several months. And, and I remember people looking at me and, and even them telling me on the phone, like, you don't understand again, the whole idea of like, you, you need to trust us. You're like, not we, smart enough. we have more info than you do. Yeah. And you don't, you don't get it. Um, but I was just, I don't know, I felt this urge. And, you know, one thing I want to bring up is growing up, I was so quiet, very mm. um, shy. I was not one to speak up ever. Mm. Um, so this was a new thing for me. Um, but I felt so passionate about it that I just felt like we're not getting the whole truth. And, you know, um, it's, a, I, I had, I'll, I'll tell you this. I had the same experience. I was sitting at the table with my family and they had just announced the two weeks to slow the spread. And my, I think my dad said something like they better keep it to two weeks because if they don't, they're going to destroy the economy. Mm -hmm. And I looked straight at my dad and I don't know where this came from. And I said, this is going to last as long as they possibly can make it last. And he was like, they can't. And I said, they're going to. Yeah. And, and then I was like, why did I say that? Yeah. Why? I, I didn't know why I thought that, but I was like, I, I really did. I had this in the same gut instinct. I was like, mm -hmm. this is not going to be two weeks. This is going to be as long as they can possibly drag this out mm -hmm. for whatever reason. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I did go protest down at the Capitol after it had been four weeks to slow the spread. Um, and I got a lot <laughs> of flack, a lot of flack for that. Um, yeah, I mean, sure. my, you know, a lot of people that I grew up with or had been, you know, gone to college with or high school and they saw, I think what it was a shock for them to see how outspoken I had been yeah. you know, on social media or just in general. Um, they, I think they were like, who is this person? Like she never spoke like in college, like what happened, what is she doing now? And um, so I think it was a shock for them, but also like, you know, a lot of people didn't agree and they wanted us to, you know, that whole idea of like, we're in this together, stay home, stay safe. You know, that just did not resonate with me. I, I just, and I can only explain it as like, it was God's wisdom um, that, and I think I had, I think I've had some experiences through my dad and just me, my own personal health and with my kids and their health. I've had some, some times where I had a really strong instinct, like that gut instinct, like that, I, I sometimes call it like that mom instinct mm -hmm. too with your kids where I didn't follow it. And I look back now and I'm like, I, I should have wish you had. I wish I had, yeah. and I should have, and I knew in my spirit, I think that was God speaking. Like that was so strong in my spirit, but I like, I kind of like pushed it down yeah. and I was like, no, I'm going to trust 
what I'm hearing. Whoever. Yeah. What they're telling me, they know better. Like I don't, that whole idea of like, I don't know what I'm talking about. So that's probably nothing. I need to just ignore it. And I look back a lot from what I know now. And I'm like, so I think I've had some of those experiences and, and when this came around with COVID and the lockdowns and I was like, I'm not going to, I had that in my spirit. Like this is not the whole truth and this is not the right way to approach it. And I just knew that I'm not going to, I'm not going to ignore this. <laughs> it feel it feels like to me that God is, was, and is preparing you for your role as advocate, as mm. advocate, as being an advocate on behalf of others, because that time period was an attack on our mental, physical, spiritual health. It was an attack on a hundred percent of you as a person. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. isolating it yep. was scary. It was fear-mongering. Fear. It oh, was, the fear. It was mm-hmm. um uh it, it was constantly like you could die. This message, like you could get sick and die, was or pervasive, you could kill your grandma. Or you could kill someone else. Mm-hmm. It was the most psychologically damaging, sick, and we saw that we've seen the outcome of this. It yeah. has been mental and physical illness for so many more people that would never have had these issues. It has been, you know, skyrocketing um, suicide rates in young people. It has been so bad for society and it was constant. And so I do think that God was raising up people, um, you know, and, and and people even in the medical industry to be advocates on behalf of people to be good advocates. And it feels like maybe that time period was preparation for you. Um, for what you're stepping into. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's helped shaped. I think my, what I see, you know, moving forward and how God, I think I want God to use me or mm. what I feel like he's calling me to. Um, I'm still, you know, I haven't got it all like planned out or figured it out, but I do, I just feel this calling of like, um, yeah, I think people don't have one, one thing I've learned um, is that you have to, you're never going to be, no one is going to be the biggest advocate for you or yeah. your family than you are. Right. So like that doctor, he's got a hundred other patients and yeah, he might care. I don't doubt that people that have gone into the medical field care and they want to help people. Yeah. My brother just, you know, graduated from med school Yes, and he has the heart, a heart of gold. He wants to help people so badly. Um, and that's why he felt called to do. And so I don't doubt that, um, people in the medical field want to be helpful and that's what they wanted to do. But I think, um, we, they're not going to be your biggest advocate. They just can't like it's, they, they, they have so much other yeah, things and they don't have and, time. Yeah. Right, yeah. And right. And you for yourself are your biggest advocate and for your family. And if you don't take that role on, then you don't have an advocate really. I mean, um, and I think a lot of people don't, don't realize that and the importance Mm of, of advocating for yourself and that you don't have to take everything at face value. Um, We, we forget that we pay our providers, whether it's, you know, healthcare or mental health um, or a dentist, you know, like yeah. I've had to say like, Oh, this dentist isn't working for me and my kids right now. 
Right. Um, I'm not, I'm not obliged to continue. Like right. I'm paying you. Like <laughs> that's right. You're not paying me to stay with you. Like that that's would be right. great if you did, but you know, pay so a lot okay. of money for all of this. Really. Right. It's okay. If I need to find someone that aligns with, you know, what I'm looking for or is open to me asking questions or advocating for my own health. Um, yes. And I think I've learned this just experientially as well. You know, I had a few years back, um, an obvious skin cancer on my leg and um, it was just doing crazy things. And I knew what it was. My mom had had skin cancer and we'd done lots of research on the different types when I was younger. And I was like, well, I know what they're going to recommend. I know what they're going to do if I go in and I know how much it's going to cost me. <laughs> and I was right, like, right, I'd right. like to find an alternative first. Right, right. And you know what? I found something. It was a cream. It was probably one fifteenth of the cost of what I would have paid uh, to to have this thing worked on um, by a dermatologist. I used this cream for about six weeks. The entire situation went away, and I went in to a dermatologist and I forced them to biopsy it and test it to make sure. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, all that was left was scar tissue. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh my gosh. I literally spent just like the smallest portion of what I would have spent had I gone in. Now, I'm not recommending that people do this. Okay. I just knew I was going to do this. I was, this is who I am. Sure. Uh, I take risks with myself. I won't take <laughs> risks with you. You make your own yeah. choices. Yeah. But I learned, I was like, huh. So there are things out there that, and, and when I, this was interesting, when I told my dermatologist about this product, he had never heard of it. Yeah. He, he had no idea what I was talking about. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you've never heard of this? This has been around since like the 70s. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it kind of mind-blowing? It's mind-blowing. We had that yeah. with my with my dad's oncologist, his, his second one. But I brought in some actual scientific articles on a off-label prescription drug that was being used um, for brain cancer or mm -hmm. had been used in – in it, in combination with uh, the chemotherapy that they were giving him, and he had never seen it before. Yeah, he had never seen the study. Yeah, it was a very well-known journal article. And when I provided it to him, he it like he was blown away. He was like, "Where did you find this? Like, I've never even knew about this." And and yeah, let's go ahead and let's try it. He yeah. wrote the prescription, which it was a very expensive drug. So mm. that was a god thing as well. Like, just. Um, like isn't that it? Yeah. Isn't that interesting that you are actually, when you advocate for yourself, sometimes you bring information to them yes. Yes. that they can help other patients yeah. with. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, I mean, he read the article he was like, send this to me. I want to dig into it. But I think we, in America, at least, I think we assume there, these doctors are keeping up on all the latest and greatest research. They know and they're giving me the best of the best. If and you have a hundred patients, true. you don't have time to research. No, anything. they don't have time. And right. they're just yeah. trusting like what the person above them told them. Like, this is what we do. This is our standard of yeah. care. And the standard of care for cancer hasn't changed in like 50 years. It's the right. same thing they've been doing 50 years ago. I mean, nothing's right. changed. We have alternative like science. Yeah. But oh, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's exactly what I discovered with the skin cancer thing. Right. I, I started to look into it and I was like, this is all the stuff they did with my mom 20 years ago. Yeah. Uh, it just costs more now, yep. but <laughs> it's the same exact thing. Yeah, money. All, all that money. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So we, okay. So, you know, our conversation so far, 
what I hope this is doing is encouraging people to be thoughtful about what happens with your body mm-hmm. because it does affect your mind. It does affect your spirit to not be afraid to pray about the medical choices you're making before right. you just trust and to mm-hmm. look for answers because God does sometimes provide answers that you never would have found otherwise if you didn't Absolutely. ask him mm-hmm. um, and that the Bible talks about how to treat your body. The Bible really cares about that, but I want to get some specifics from you before you go. So I would yeah. love to hear Um, with all of your experience, your top five pieces of advice you would give people today to naturally improve your quality of health and life? So, okay, I have lots, but um, (laughs) so it's hard to narrow down. I would say first and foremost, I I wrote these down, let me just grab them really quick, Um, was to not fear. I think fear is our biggest enemy in, in this realm, right. Um, in general for everything, but especially with health, like don't fear that you, you can ask a question. Don't fear the diagnosis. Um, don't fear, um, learning. I think we, we get, we feel like, Oh, there's so much research out there. I don't even know where to start. And you don't have to know it all, but you can start somewhere and you take little bits and pieces. And when you take out fear, you're empowered, I think, yep. to say, like, I can take charge here a little bit and I can work with my medical providers, whoever they may be, whether it's a naturopath, a, you know, a Western medical doctor or all of the above, um, a chiropractor. And just um, looking at, like, I I can do this because God, God has given me a brain. <laughs> That's my biggest thing. I'm like, we all have brains. We all can use them. Um, you don't have to go to a school to be able to like use your brain. Um, yeah. It's just not true. So that was my one one thing. And then going along with that was to trust your God-given instinct. Mm. Um, I was interviewed for, uh, so my fourth baby, uh, I was going to do a home birth. So my, my first three, I was induced for several different reasons mm. all across the board. Um, and my fourth, I was like, I am not getting induced this time. And this was right after COVID. So again, you know, you're kind of like, I don't know if I necessarily trust what's going on in the hospital. I don't know what's going right. to happen. I don't even know if my husband's going to be able to be in a hospital with me at this point. Right. So I had chose to go down um, a path with a midwife on, on home birth. And lo and behold, I ended up getting induced <laughs> for other reasons, which is fine. I am grateful for the medical community yeah. and the, you know, what we have available to us. I yeah. would never like say, don't ever go to a hospital or don't trust any right. doctor. I would never no. say that. No. Um, but um, I remember doing an interview on Nine News, actually, because my previous midwife was shocked. She's like, why are you doing a homework? And she said that at that time, this was 2022, so a year ago, um, she said there, the amount of patients they were losing at her OB office was like 80% because they were all doing home births. Oh, wow. And she was just, she was like, I don't understand. Why are all these women choosing home births? Like, this Mm -hmm. is, this is like crazy. We've never seen this before. Um, And so her and I were interviewed on Nine News just about this whole idea of like why this has increased in the last couple of years. And, and my number one thing was like, listen, I think God has created us and our bodies to work in a perfect way. We live in an imperfect world, right? Um, So it's not always going to work perfectly, but he, you know, he's given us these instincts 
for a reason. He works through them. And I think it's so important to listen to them, especially as mothers, especially as mothers, because I think God just gives mothers just that a little, just extra instinct. Oh, absolutely. Um, Yes. um, But we're, we think like, Oh, I'm just not going to listen to it. I don't really know what I'm talking about. So that was my big Mm -hmm. thing. Trust your God given instinct. Um, the advocacy, like no one will advocate for you. Like you, you will for yourself or your family. So be an advocate and what that may look different for everyone. Um, for me, it was like, I'm going to dig in and I'm going to learn about, so they may tell me my dad needs to do this treatment. I'm going to learn about it. I'm going to find out everything I can, the good, the bad, the risks, the benefits, um, and what other alternatives there are, whether they work together or we do them separately, you know, um, just being an advocate for yourself and not Mm. just trusting anyone but yourself. I think we tend to do that. Um, And then I've, I'm a very, you know, I think there's a lot out there. So that can be intimidating, like from the natural world and the Western, you know, medicine, like there's so much, you're like, where do I even start? I think it's important to kind of remember there's not like the one thing that's going to be the cure all Mm. Um, or, you know, people will say that, oh, I started using this one thing and it changed my life. And, you know, I think sometimes you have to remember that even if it's a good thing, too much of a good thing, isn't necessarily always good. I was going to say, thank you for saying that, because I do think that's something people are like, um, oh, this really worked for me. It might not work for you. Number one, people's biology is different. Sometimes things are just different. And then you also have the the snake oil salesman out there Mm -hmm. big time right now. Like, this is the way to go. This is going to be the cure. This is blah, 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 blah. Um, Just like with cancer. They can yeah. say that they can cure cancer with some of these treatments, but it doesn't work for everybody. And it right. isn't, you know, across the board. And so, yeah, nothing not is like a hundred percent, nothing yeah. is going to hundred percent work or work a hundred percent of the time for everyone. So everyone is different. And so I try to balance, I try to say like, there's a balance. And that kind of goes into my last thing is like, take the 80, 20, like if you're doing things for your health, like you're never going to do it perfectly. And I think we can beat ourselves up. I do that sometimes with me, like, oh, my kids drank, you know, that soda tonight at the movie with my mom. And now I'm like, oh, they should have been having all that sugar. But like that 80, 20 of like, you know what, they're going to be okay. Cause t- 80% of the time they're drinking water or, you know, having their vegetables and I'm not going to get it perfect. And they're not going to, and I'm not going to like simmer on it and let it ruin my mental health that we, you know, didn't do things like 100% of the way. I think you, when you get into the crunchy world, they like to call it of like, oh, we have to have everything clean in our house. And, um, you know, I can't cook with this pan. Um, it just, I, I think there's, you have to have a healthy balance and realize like we live in an imperfect world and I'm going to do the best I can. And yeah. I'm going to treat my body as a temple in the best way possible. And I'm going to make mistakes but I'm going to try better next time. You're doing, you're doing your best. So, and I think God gives so much grace for that. And he doesn't want you to be obsessed with this either. That becomes like a waste of time, right? It becomes like an obsession and it becomes a God in a way that you don't want it to. Absolutely. And I think Mm -hmm. a lot of people then end up in, well, your first point was in fear around things. Yes. It's a different fear, right? Yeah. Well, now I'm, I'm fear of this, you know, of, of, 
getting a medication. Now I'm afraid of sugar, you know, or whatever. And it's like, no, that's not really the point. Um, But we tend to be an excessive society. So we do things to excess. So we have to Mm -hmm. like pull that back and be like, nothing nothing in excess. Like we need to pull it all back. Even like our super healthy adventures, you know, can be excessive. So it can. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the last thing too, for me, as which is really the last few years, I think since COVID and everyone's on social media and there's Google and there's all these search engines and we find, you can find an answer to anything. You know, if you're looking for an answer, you'll find it. So you just have to have, um, ask God for wisdom and discernment, I think is really important. And, and really to be careful about, because I think we we're seeing what I'm seeing in the health world is especially the alternative natural more natural approach is a lot of new age practices coming in and this idea of like becoming one with yourself and um you know there's a lot of different like new things that are coming out that are like oh this is like this is going to heal you and it's been suppressed for so long and yeah maybe there are things that are helpful but we have to really look at everything through the lens of the bible and um, have discernment because you can easily in, in health or anywhere be sucked in and, and then it becomes, like you said, a God and it's not the God that we serve. And so I think that's, that's been on my heart lately, just for myself is to be really careful about the things that I am researching and like asking God for wisdom and that like, Hey, are these things, they have really good positive things that they say about this, but is this something that, you know, comes from you? Yeah. And I, I, I really love that. That's a really good piece of advice as well. Just given, um, well, I feel like I've learned to trust the Lord and his word more over the last few years in regards to how we're supposed to treat our bodies. I think, you know, if you know, um, you have people come in and I've got people, I've got people too. We're almost done. But I think just knowing that, you know, the stuff that was in some of these drugs that they put out into the population don't align with biblical principles, you would have already known not to take them, right? You would have already known. All you had right. to do was read the Bible. Right. And so when you see some of these practices that seem kind of weird, you can usually go back and find them in ancient civilizations mm-hmm. and figure out which God they're attached to, right? right. <laughs> and then you go, right. oh, uh, that's not my God. That's a different God. Right. So, all right. Well, Ashley, thank you. I'm going to let you get to your family. I I think my daughter's playing piano right now. Um, But thank you so much. This has been just awesome. And I'll have to have you back. Yes. Anytime. I love it. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Ashley. Yeah.